Broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, it's 88.7 WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. Thank you for joining me every Sunday morning at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Got an hour uninterrupted of your favorite small town kid. Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz. I know Sister Jean pretty well. I think he's the sports editor. There. He is. Right. He's a sports he's editor. Yeah. Sports good, columnist, sports writer. And, uh, and there's a, there's... I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class. Nick Schultz, who is a, a rising star in the profession. Our guy, Nick Schultz, covers oil for the student newspaper there, the Loyola Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself <laughs> and asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. We have a big show in store for you today here on WLUW 88.7 FM. I'm your host, Nick Schultz. It is always great to be back with you for another week. We have so much to get to, as I said. And it's another week where I cannot hear myself on the air. So if I don't sound good, if something's going wrong, please, please, please chime in on my Twitter. At Nick Schultz underscore seven. Not sure what's going on here. We're going to do the best we can, though, because we have a lot to talk about. And we're talking about college sports we've got pro sports as always if you want to chime in on the discussion shoot me a tweet at nick schultz underscore seven and cannot wait to talk with you during the show how about the chicago bulls the bulls are three and oh first team first team in the nba to be three and oh i might add bears play tampa bay today at 325 a matchup with tom brady remember last year when the two teams played that was the game when tom brady forgot the downs on thursday night football so now they're playing again today at 325. Illinois, how about the fighting Illini? It took nine overtimes. You heard that right. Nine overtimes for the Illini to come away with the win, 20-18 to over number seven Penn State. The Cubs reuniting with Javi Baez? That's what one analyst is predicting. I'll talk about that later on in the show. Have some sound to play for you, maybe. The Blackhawks are the Blackhawks. I'm not talking hockey. It just makes me mad. I don't want to talk hockey. But before we get to all of that, now you heard me rattle out. There's a lot there. I have some news to break on the show, and it involves Loyola Chicago basketball. Loyola and Wisconsin played in a secret scrimmage yesterday, and a well-placed source gave me some details as to what happened in that game. The final score was 71-56, to 56, Loyola won. Now, here's the thing with these secret scrimmages before I go on. There's nobody there. They're supposed to be secret. It's the way around the NCAA because exhibition games cannot be played against Division I teams. That's just the NCAA's rules. I don't make them. But exhibition games cannot be played against Division I teams, which is why, and I haven't really seen this anywhere, so I don't know when this came on the schedule, Loyola's playing UW Stout November 3rd in exhibition at Gentile Arena. So that's not a D1 team. You cannot play Division I teams in exhibition. The only way you can play Division I teams before the regular season starts is in these secret scrimmages. 
can't be on campus. It's got to be at an alter, at an alternate site. Nobody's there. They keep stats, but no fans. They can. It's kind of how do I put it? It's like a practice, but it's you're keeping score. You're keeping stats. It's very cool, from what I understand. I've never seen one. I'm be totally honest. It's a secret scrimmage. I can't go see one. I'm a reporter, but. I have some info as to what happened in the secret scrimmage yesterday between Loyola Chicago and Wisconsin. Final score, 71-56. Loyola came out on top. Now, I can tell you the last time. Now, I covered Loyola since 2016. I remember them in 2017 beating Northwestern by one in a secret scrimmage. And that's when they made the final four. Now, I'm not saying they're going to make the final four because they beat Wisconsin by 15. But just putting it in perspective here. They lost to Indiana in 2018. UW shot 19 of 53 from the field, 6 of 23 from three-point land. Loyola, meanwhile, shot 22 of 42 from the field, 5 of 11 from three-point territory. John Rothstein reported that Lucas Williamson had 16 points. I can confirm. I can also tell you that Jacob Hudson had 12, and here Ugwak had 11 on the Wisconsin side, Johnny Davis had 13 points, Ben Carlson had 10, and Brad Davison had 12. Now, UW saw a lot of roster turnover. They were a very experienced team last year. And now their, their roster looks completely different. So that's what Loyola went up against yesterday. The game was played, I believe, at UW-Whitewater. It was at the Williams Center in Whitewater, Wisconsin. St. Thomas... A highly touted freshman played a little north of three, four minutes. T.Y. Johnson did not play. Neither did Ben Schweiger. Chris Knight is one of the newcomers. He scored. Let me look at what I have here. Chris Knight scored four points. Ryan Schweiger also did not play. The starting lineup, at least what it looks like and what I think it'll be this year, I've been saying this all along, here, Ugwak, Jacob Hudson, Lucas Williamson, Braden Norris, and Keith Clemens. That's likely going to be your starting five. That's all. That's the info we get from the secret scrimmage. I wanted to lead that, lead with that off the bat because I know Loyola fans were curious as to what happened. That's what happened at UW Whitewater yesterday. Loyola beat Wisconsin seventy-one to fifty-six. Now, there's a lot of optimism this year for the Ramblers, and I'm not covering them this year again. Because I've got my job at Saturday Tradition right now. But they were left out of the AP Top 25. Which I thought was interesting. Considering they made, you know, a Sweet 16. And beat a number one seed in Illinois. Yes, they lost their top player. The center, literally, of the offense in Cameron Crutwig. But they returned four or five starters. And Marquise Kennedy. And Tate Hall. They've got some good newcomers coming in. I don't know why they didn't even get a vote in the AP Top 25. But here they are beating Wisconsin, 71-56. to So that's your news to lead off the show today. The regular season for Loyola starts November 9th against Coppin State. And again, as I told you earlier, they're playing UW Stout in exhibition. So I wanted to leave with that off the bat just to tell you what happened in that secret scrimmage because it looks like there's a lot to unpack there. It's another good defensive performance by Loyola. Not that I'm surprised. Drew Valentine is the architect of this defense. As an assistant, now that he's in charge, I expect the defense to 
continue its dominance from last year, especially with Lucas Williamson and Ahir Ugwak back in the rotation, back in the starting lineup. With those two back this year leading the charge, I expect the defense to be great once again this year. That season opener is on NBC Sports Chicago Plus, Tuesday, November 9th at 7 p.m. That's at Gentile Arena. After that, they'll play Florida Gulf Coast November 13th, Chicago State November 16th, and UIC November 20th, all of which are taking place at Gentile Arena before going to the Bahamas for the Battle for Atlantis to play Michigan State in the first game. I'm here for Valentine versus Izzo, by the way. So that's what's going on. Want to leave with that. I know people are curious. If you have thoughts, if you want to chime in on Loyola basketball, slide into my DMs or shoot me a tweet at NickSchultz underscore 7. I've already got the Bishop Emeritus of Blurs, Jonah Blatt, Loyola superfan. St. Thomas is going to be special, man. Mark my words. No, I agree. I really like having St. Thomas on this team. Now, here's the thing this year, and we talked about this on the show, I believe. You have a loaded rotation right now. You've got Williamson, Norris, Ugwak, Clemens, They've got experience. You've got Hudson jumping into the starting rotation. He's going to be great. Looking at his numbers from the scrimmage, Jacob Hudson went 5 of 6 shooting. That's good. And rebounding-wise, he had 3 rebounds. Marquise Kennedy actually had five rebounds. I'm sorry, seven rebounds in this game. But no, going back to Saint, you have a loaded rotation. Marquise Kennedy would start on every other Valley team. That's not a stretch. He would start on literally every other Valley team. He's coming off your bench. If I'm Drew Valentine, and I'm not, I've never played basketball, or I did, but that wasn't very good. But if I'm Drew Valentine... I have my starting five of Williamson, Norris, Clemens, Hudson, Ugwak. And from there, you can do another five. T.Y. Johnson, once he's healthy. Marquise Kennedy, Tate Hall, Tom Welch, Chris Knight. Or something along those lines. John Calipari did the same thing at Kentucky. He had, it was like a hockey line change. It was five in, five out. Drew Valentine can feasibly do this with this team. Leonard Hamilton had a number four overall pick at Florida State who was the sixth man of the year in the ACC. And Patrick Williams came off the bench. You don't have to start to make an immediate impact. If Drew could have the five-in, five-out rotation, that's what I would do. But again, I'm not the head coach. I'm not in charge of that, but looking at the minutes distribution yesterday, not bad. Not bad. Hopefully, with this roster, you don't have too many games where you're playing guys 30 minutes a game. I know that was always one of Porter Moser's things, was don't play guys more than 30 minutes. Well, Crutwig and Williamson and Norris ended up playing 35 minutes a game, usually. And that wasn't their average, but it just felt like they were always in the game. You have pieces now where you can back off those minutes. I think you're going to see scoring numbers go down individually just because there are so many pieces that can beat you on this year's team. Now, Loyola's picked second in the Missouri Valley preseason poll. 
behind, I think, was it Drake? I think it was Drake was number one. They were picked second in 2017-18 too, and guess what happened? I remember it. I was there. They made the final four. Now, again, I'm not saying they're going to do that again, but still, there's a lot to look forward to this year, and I'm really excited to follow it. You know, I'm not covering them this year necessarily, but still, I'm an alum. I'm going to watch Loyola. I covered them four years in school. It's going to be a good year. But yeah, 71-56, they beat Wisconsin in a secret scrimmage. That's according to a well-placed source. Now we're going to get to the rest of the topics of the day, but if you want to chime in on Loyola Hoops, again, shoot me a tweet, shoot me a DM at Schultz underscore 7. We'll be happy to talk basketball. It's coming up soon. I mean, it's October 24th. The exhibition game's coming up a week from Wednesday. That's 10 days from now until we see Loyola basketball again. So it's going to be a lot of fun this year. I can't wait. All right, let's talk Bulls because the Bulls are fun again. That's the best way to put it. Now, I didn't have time to pull the sound, but there was a play the other night that was the epitome of what this Bulls team is. Lonzo Ball needed an assist to get a triple-double. He's coming down the court, and Alex Caruso is coming with him. Caruso passes it to Lonzo. Now, Lonzo could take that dunk himself. It was wide open. Instead, he tossed it up to Caruso, and it was an amazing slam dunk. I have to watch the highlight every time I see it. It was great. This Bulls team is fun. They're 3-0, and and I told you so. I'm just saying I told you so. 3-0, and big, two big wins over the Pistons, and they had a big win over the Pelicans in that game where Lonzo got the triple-double. That was a true Lonzo Ball revenge game, by the way. Final score yesterday against Detroit was 97-82. to But the schedule gets tougher. It gets tougher from here. They've got Toronto tomorrow night. And then they have the Knicks, then the Jazz, then the Celtics, then the Sixers twice. Then Brooklyn, then Dallas, then Golden State, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Blazers, the Nuggets, the Knicks. Whew. That is a grueling stretch. I think they have a good chance to be 4-0 when they play Toronto tomorrow night in Toronto. But if there was any question about how this unit was going to work together, specifically Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan, those need to be answered now because DeRozan provides a secondary scoring option. The other night, Zach Levine didn't have a point in the first quarter, but there was DeRozan carrying the scoring load. This is still Zach's team. I want to be perfectly clear. Even even with guys like DeRozan, Vucevic, Lonzo, this is Zach's team. And you saw that in these first few games. Now, the one who needs to wake up a little bit is Vooch. It's no problem right now because you're playing teams like Detroit and New Orleans and you're going to face Toronto tomorrow. But Vooch has to wake up. He absolutely has to wake up if this team wants to be consistent going forward and make a run toward the Eastern Conference play, toward, toward the Eastern Conference title, which they won't win but specifically make a run to the playoffs. And he's not, I mean, he hasn't been performing poorly necessarily. He had 15 rebounds in the season opener, 19 rebounds against Detroit last night. But still scoring-wise, not seeing what I want to see. Looking at his game log, he's averaging 13.3 points a game through these three games. He's also shooting 
35.4%, which is not good, to say the least. Yeah, Vooch is struggling on the offensive end. I'm glad to see he's crashing the boards against Detroit. But against New Orleans, he only had four rebounds. Maybe that's an anomaly. Maybe he'll recover from this. He's an all-star. He should recover from this. Still something to keep an eye on, though. But the big thing, they're fun to watch. You know the last time the Bulls won a season, was it a season opener? The last time they were over 500 was 2016-17. last time they won a home opener was that year, too. That's what we've been watching the last few years. What we've been talking about on the show the last few years has been bad basketball. Now... It's fun basketball. Stacey King has taken to calling this team Shy Slamma Jamma. I've already ordered my shirt that says that. This team is fun. They're exciting. It's going to be a good year at the United Center. And I've I got to try to get up to a game. Because that place is rocking. It is also crazy to see a headline from 670 The Score yesterday that said, Ball, DeRozan, was it Vucevic or Caruso? One of the names, it was one, all new names that said lead Bulls to a victory. Isn't that cool? Also, I want a headband and a Caruso jersey. That might be my Halloween costume if I could pull it off. No, I don't dress up for Halloween. But still, I want one. I will wear it proudly. I'm not shaving my head, but I'll wear it proudly. I am all aboard the Alex Caruso bandwagon. I'm driving. It's going to be fun. He's already a fan favorite in Chicago. He's lighting up social media. He's making plays. He's a great defender. That was a great signing this offseason. It was a surprise signing, too. I remember when it happened, I about dropped my phone. I was on vacation. My family decided to go to Michigan. And it was like the last time we were all going to be together because my brother went back to school from the lake. And it was over free agency, which I'm like, cool. I'll bring my microphone. I'll do some emergency podcasts if something happens. The Lonzo signing trade happened, and then all of a sudden, the Bulls get Alex Caruso. And I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? Now, I'm, I was thinking of it more for the memes. You know, Alex Caruso is a very memeable player, and I don't mean that as a bad thing. That's not a, that's not a knock. It's just kind of funny. But that's what I was looking at. Now I'm like, hey, he's playing really well, too. He's leading that second unit, which is great. All aboard the Caruso bandwagon. The Caruso is here, and it is phenomenal. At the United Center. I got a DM here from Daryl Horowitz, who used to host the show, now living in Charlotte. What's up, Daryl? Daryl from Charlotte writes in, Concerned about Patrick Williams, even if the Bulls are winning based on expectations and what we were told about him and how good he's supposed to be. If he doesn't improve as the season goes on, is it a successful season? That's a tough question because is it a successful season is different than did Patrick Williams develop because I... I've said on this show, the Bulls need to be top five in the East. With the money they spent this offseason, the moves they made, there's no reason for them to be playing in the play-in tournament. Top five in the East is my bar. And maybe that's too high a bar. Whatever. That's my bar. To me, a successful season is top four, top five in the East. But that said, I know there are questions about Patrick Williams' development. Joe Cowley was talking about how I think it was Sadiq Bay developed over the last year see here's the thing here's the thing with Patrick Williams 
and I've been talking about this on my podcast on Wednesdays, Believe in Bulls, on the Believe Podcast Network, and I've been talking about it here. I mentioned it earlier. Patrick Williams was a sixth man for Leonard Hamilton at Florida State. Usually, going to the NBA, guys have to go from being the guy on their college team to not being the guy in the NBA right out of the gate. For Patrick Williams, it's kind of the inverse. He wasn't the guy, necessarily, in, at Florida State. He didn't start. He wasn't your Scotty Barnes. He was off the bench, sixth man of the year. And he's young. He's, is he 20 yet? I don't even know if he's 20 yet. I know he's not 21. So you've got to take that into consideration as well. He's very young. It's a matter of instilling, I think it's a confidence thing, honestly. We saw enough flashes of it last year to where we know that that's in there. There's something there. I trust Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley, especially, when finding talent. There's something there. It's a matter of unlocking that potential. It's taking a little time, but I really think that Patrick Williams will be fine in the NBA because he has the talent in there. He, has, he, just, he needs that spark. And he's got playmakers around him now. Like last year, I mean, I feel like it was him. He was kind of forced into, okay, we're going to need you to take over this game because Zach's not scoring and Wendell Carter's not playing well. Also, I, side note, I do like having Patrick Williams at the center spot when he goes small. I like that fit because he's a great defender. That cannot be overlooked when talking about his development. Even last year, LeBron James was impressed. I want to say Luka Doncic was impressed. He's a great defender, and I know it's an offensive league. I understand that. Defense doesn't always show up in the box score. I get that. I really do. But I think that's a big part of his game. So far through three games, 7.7 points a game, three rebounds in, what is it, 27.3 minutes a game. So it's not bad. He's not, he's not a volume scorer. That was never his game. He's a great defender. He's got a high basketball IQ. And again, he has to adjust to being one of the guys on this Bulls team. He rode the bench at Florida State. When I say rode the bench, I don't mean he played garbage time minutes. No. He rode the bench. He came off the bench. He did not start. And it's I can't but I cannot believe I keep making this reference when I talk about Patrick Williams. I covered Porter Moser too long. He always quoted Rick Majerus as saying, starting's for high school. That's the mentality you have to have here. He didn't start. That's okay. He still was great as the sixth man. So he has to get into that mentality, that mental space of, I'm the guy now. I'm starting in the NBA. He started last year every game. He's starting this year alongside DeMar DeRozan and Lonzo Ball and Nikola Vucevic. And Zach Levine. He has to get into the mentality of, okay, I'm one of these guys. It's not easy to do. And I do think Billy Donovan is that guy. I think he can do that. Yeah, I think he can absolutely unlock that potential. But yeah, that's where I'm at with Patrick Williams. I think he'll be all right. But the big thing as a Bulls fan, 
this team is just so much fun to watch. The Bulls are now must-see TV. I, th- I don't think that's a stretch to say. They are must-see TV. Stacey King has called them shy slamma jamma for a reason. And if you don't get that reference, the Houston Rockets had, what was it? It was Phi Gamma Gamma was the fraternity, so they're Phi Slamma Jamma in Houston. That's what that's referencing. But still, Shy Slamma Jamma is here. The Caruso is here. How about Lonzo? After the first game was okay. Now he he's Lonzo. He's exactly what I thought he'd be. DeMar is proving to be a good secondary scoring option, which I didn't think I'd ever say about DeMar DeRozan. The big thing is it's Zach Levine's team. Even with an all-star in DeRozan, a future all-star in Lonzo, an all-star in Vucevic, is Zach Levine's team. And going forward, that's going to be huge down the stretch because there's not going to be, at least what it looks like so far, it's not going to be this fight of a couple alphas and who's going to be the primary scoring option. It was the Houston Cougars. I'm sorry, not the Rockets. The Cougars. I knew what I meant. It was the Houston. It was University of Houston with Hakeem Olajuwon. Yeah, I knew it was Houston. I, I just need, I need more coffee. No, it was, the, it was University of Houston with five slamma jamma. I knew what I meant. I'm just going to have another sip of coffee real quick. But yeah, watch the Bulls. It's going to be fun. It, it's already fun. First 3-0 team in the NBA. I'm really impressed. But now it's going to get tough. Like I said, that schedule is... I read off... So the way I went down the schedule was teams until it gets kind of easier. Because after the stretch through November, it's Indiana, Houston, Orlando, Miami, Charlotte... There's a little bit of a break, but right now this is a grueling part of the schedule coming up after this game against Toronto tomorrow night at 6.30. Can this team do it? I mean, they've got the veteran presence to get through these games. I'm not saying they're going to lose to Utah, lose to the Knicks, lose to, the, lose to Boston, lose to the Sixers twice. They're not going to go L-L-L-L-L-L. They're going to play hard. They've got the pieces that can play hard. You've seen what they can do against teams they're supposed to beat. That's the other thing that's different about this team. They're blowing out teams they should blow out. Now they need to step up against the teams that they shouldn't necessarily beat and maybe pull off an upset. Like the Illinois Fighting Illini did yesterday against Penn State. What a game that was. It took nine overtimes for Illinois to beat Penn State 20-18. It just felt like it wouldn't end. I was sitting there saying, man, this, i got to watch Pac-12 after dark tonight. This game's going to... This game's going to cut into it. Granted, there was no Pac-12 after dark last night, but that proved my point. I should have said, man, i got to watch the Bears tomorrow. Maybe this Illinois game will be done by then. 20-18, Illinois knocked off number 7, and, man, some of the tweets that came in from Penn State fans. You know, I went through for a story for Saturday Tradition, and I went through the replies, which I know you never do. You're not supposed to do that, but I did and found some of the funniest replies. And I think the best one I saw was one where uh, the person said, if you or a loved one watch this game, you may be entitled to financial compensation. That's hilarious. The replies were great. You know, James Franklin's name has been rumored for USC for, I want to say LSU now. And Penn State fans are like, okay, you can have him. Like, it was just, okay. Chase Brown's unreal. 
Chase Brown is ridiculous. He's going to be the running back one of the future. I have a column dropping today. It'll drop in about an hour or so. On Saturday tradition, I'll throw it out on my Twitter and Facebook and whatnot. But basically what I say is, okay, Brett Bielema this week. I, I really wish I had more time to pull sound this week. Brett Bielema was talking about recruiting and the roster. And he came under fire for those comments. And when you listen to the context, when you listen to the full quote, you know, people were saying, oh, you're treating them like pros when you say this. Now pay them. No, I, you have to listen to the full quote to understand what he was saying. And I'll tell you what he was saying after I remind you that you're listening to the Sunday Sports Shootout on WLUW 88.7 FM, broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, Chicago. I'm coming to you from small-town Dwight, Illinois, home sweet home. You know, Bielema was talking about developing the offensive line and the quarterbacks. He wasn't wrong. His old line was struggling. They look good against Penn State. Don't get me wrong. But that needs to be consistent. And it comes down to they need to be deeper. They need to have more pieces. And it's all, it all comes down to recruiting. Look, Brett Bielema is a great recruiter, okay? He's out there working the state of Illinois trying to get Illinois players to stay home. And, and if anything, that game yesterday against Penn State just boosted his recruiting profile because he can go to those recruits and say, hey, look what we did, but we can be even better and you can make us better. He is an awesome recruiter. I've already seen it with the offers that he's get with the offers he's making and the commits he's gotten. You know, they don't show up in the rankings necessarily, like in the ratings on 24-7 and whatnot. But he's still a great recruiter, and that's why he can use this game as recruiting capital, realistically. He can find a four-star quarterback and say, hey, we beat Penn State, but we only threw the ball for 40-some yards. They ran the ball. At one point, Illinois had 350 yards of offense, 320 of which came from the run game. He can go to those quarterbacks and say, we only threw for this many yards and beat Penn State. Imagine what we could have done with a quarterback like you who can throw the ball well and make plays happen and get us 100 yards a game to complement that run game. Brandon Peters is gone after this year. He's not the answer anyway. Art Sitkowski's okay. He looked shaky yesterday against Penn State. He could be good for now. You need to develop a quarterback. And that was something that Brett talked about, how the last coaching staff, you know, Lovey Smith and company. Okay. It's not a stretch to say that Lovey was a terrible recruiter. He was an awful recruiter, and that's why Illinois was stuck in the mud like it was while he was there. These players on this roster, 85 to 90% of them are Lovey Smith's players. Bielema gave the COVID year. Let them all come back. And now he's going to go from there, and he's got pieces he can build around. You know, he's got Chase Brown. He's got Josh McCray. That's a good two-headed monster at the running back spot. Isaiah Williams is looking like a damn good wide receiver, too, after switching from quarterback. Now you need a quarterback, you need some defense help, you need no line. Other pieces will fall into place. What's going to help with that is winning as the rebuild goes on. As the rebuild goes on, you're going to be able to add more pieces because you're going to be they're going to be seeing, okay, these players are developing. Now, what would happen if I joined that team as a freshman and what would I be as a senior? 
You saw what Brett did at Wisconsin. I know Arkansas didn't go as well. Granted, at Wisconsin, he had some little-known quarterback named Russell Wilson. That helps a lot. And he was a transfer. So maybe work the transfer portal. The transfer portal is turning into a pretty good recruiting chip, too. You know, you see Michigan State this year. Kenneth Walker III is one of, one of, if not the best running back in college football right now. Transferred from Wake Forest. Maybe Brett can do that to get a quarterback and an O-line and whatnot. It's not the most sustainable, I'd say, as getting guys in as freshmen and developing them for four years. But still, it's a good resource. That's how you got Brandon Peters, even though I Brandon Peters just it's not he ain't it. I'm sorry. He just he's not it. He gets hurt too much, which that's not his fault. But he's injury prone. He the decision making, he came in at Sitkowski had a nasty wrist injury yesterday. I mean, it was I had to look away. Peters came in and it was when they were in the two point conversion part of overtime when after what Two overtimes, it's just two-point conversion after two-point conversion, which is why the game went to nine overtimes, because neither team could find the end zone. But I watched Brandon Peters in there, I'm like, oh, boy. You need a quarterback. Bad. Here's Daryl again. Lovey was also a terrible coach and didn't put in any effort recruiting, etc. He took the job for the money without trying to earn it. By the way, you already know what I think of Lovey. Yeah, I know you're the president of the Lovey Smith fan club, Daryl. I had high hopes for him. I did. When he went to Illinois, I, I had high hopes. But it just it didn't work out. It was a big swing by Josh Whitman. It didn't work out. Now you've got a guy who's been around the college game, a proven recruiter. I mean, I watch Brett on Twitter, and I watch what people say about him. He'll tell you what he thinks, no doubt about it. I mean, you saw that this week in that press conference when he's talking about his roster makeup. But he's also a good recruiter. And that's why, going forward, I'm not worried about the future of Illinois' program, especially with a win like a win like yesterday's. Now, I do my record predictions every week for Saturday tradition, and I still have Illinois winning four games. It was three, but I didn't expect them to beat Penn State. I've got them winning four games because they're two up and down. They didn't play well against Virginia and Texas San Antonio, but they stepped up against Penn State. They could have beaten Maryland. They could have and probably should have beat Purdue. They step up, and it, it's just uh, it's awful up and down right now. Like, they do what they did against Purdue and Maryland, but they don't score a point against Wisconsin. Now, Wisconsin's a great defense. I understand that. But that's why you have to have multiple ways to beat teams, which is why you need a quarterback. I like Brett. I do. Wasn't sure about him at first, but now watching him settle in, I think Illinois is in good hands. I think they're going to be fine. But yeah, what a game that was yesterday. Can't help but think about the future, too, given Brett's comments this week. If there was any question if he lost the locker room, it got answered. Because, man, that was, that was some performance yesterday by the Fighting Illini. All right, I got about 25 minutes left. I do want to get to this comment from John Heyman. Which, yes, Jonah, I understand college game day will be in East Lansing for the first time, first ever matchup between Michigan State and Michigan when they're both 7-0. and That's going to be a good game. I'm going to work my day around that game probably. It's going to be a real good game. I can't wait for that one. Although watching my Fighting Irish beat USC last night, oh, it was so great. That was awesome. It's always a good day when USC loses to Notre Dame. All right. 
Let's move on to this comment from John Heyman about Javi Baez. So, surfing the Twitter sphere this week, like I do, because I had nothing better to do besides just sit on Twitter all day. You don't want to know what my screen time is on my phone because I'm sitting there just scrolling through Twitter. But anyway, scrolling through and I see something about John Heyman predicts Javi Baez to the Cubs. And I had to look. I'm like, is this a legit account? Now, remember, the Cubs traded Javi at the deadline to the Mets. Well, he's a free agent this year, along with Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant. But Javi's a free agent this year. Well, I got curious. and This is the only sound I was able to pull this week. Here's John Heyman on Javi Baez. All right, Javier Baez. I'm going to predict he's going to go back to the Cubs. They like him. They weren't that far apart in the negotiations, so I could see that happening. I'm not going to rule out the Mets. That's from John Heyman, who's pretty dialed in in Major League Baseball circles. And he's not Bob Nightingale necessarily. You know, Nightingale gets, he, he gets a hard time because he tends to, <laughs> his predictions are wrong. Sometimes his stories don't play out, but... He does have a direct line to Jerry Reinsdorf, I'll add. But Javi to the Cubs. You know, of all three, of the big three that were traded, Bryant, Rizzo, Baez, I figured Rizzo would be the one to come back to the Cubs. But I'm not sure about that anymore. I think Bryant's staying on the West Coast. Too close to family. He found a good fit with San Francisco. I don't know... What happened to the middle infield idea? There was the idea. You traded for Nick Madrigal at the deadline, which, thanks, White Sox. The Nick Madrigal trade ensured the Cubs had a second baseman alongside Nico Horner at shortstop. That's how I took that trade was, okay, your middle infield is set. And I like that. You got two good defenders, two good contact hitters. I like that middle infield. Now, you heard last week about Carlos Correa, who I'm, I'm still back and forth on. Still back and forth on that idea. He's a great player, don't get me wrong. He's one of those, if he's on your team, you love him, but it, I won't go there. Now we're talking Javi Baez, too. What's going on here? Where, First of all, where's Nico going to play? Or where's Nick going to play? I, I don't know what's going on here. Is that not the plan to have Nico Horner at shortstop and Nick Madrigal at second base? I'm, I'm just curious. I didn't get to listen to Carter Hawkins' press conference this week. I'll just interest of full disclosure. I have no idea if he talked about that at all. But I just, are they looking for a shortstop? Did I miss something? I mean, I know it's football season. I've been kind of watching Big Ten football like crazy, watching the NFL like crazy. I keep joking that baseball's over. I keep wearing my I miss baseball shirt because – the Cubs are out of it. The Sox are out of it. I really, I just want the, I'll go on record and say I want the Braves to win the World Series so Houston doesn't win another World Series. But that's, I mean, I like to think I pay pretty close attention to baseball, especially in Chicago. I heard Carlos Correa's name come up. Now we're hearing Javi Baez come up? Can someone clear this up for me? I don't, I don't know what I missed. Because I was really, honestly looking forward to a middle infield of Horner and Madrigal. The comparisons were made at the deadline to Terrio Fontenot. There are two names for you. Ryan Terrio and Mike Fontenot. You know, they were contact hitters and decent defenders. Now, I, I think Horner and Madrigal are better. 
They're, so that's an upgrade from them. But still, the comparison can be made. I was looking forward to that. I understand if you can get Carlos Correa, the cheating scandal aside, if you can get Carlos Correa, the player, you go get him, obviously. I think Javi, Javi is up and down, man. You knew that in Chicago. He's literally hit or miss. So I get where you're coming from here. But if you have guys like Nico Horner and Nick Madrigal, I thought that was the plan. Do they have a plan? I'm not sure. But it's going to be an interesting offseason because apparently the Cubs have resources to spend in free agency now. What, did the marquee money just kick in? Did Mr. Ricketts find a quarter on the street somewhere? I mean, where I don't... Apparently, they've got resources now. So this is going to be an interesting offseason for the Cubs. It's, they're not saying it's a rebuild either, which I thought it was a rebuild. It looks like a rebuild. It feels like a rebuild. But whatever. It's going to be interesting. I don't know what's going to happen. The middle infield might not be what I thought it was. Maybe it will be what I thought it was. Who knows? And Daryl liked the thanks White Sox comment. Yeah, that kind of the context there is with Eloy Jimenez when Eloy hit the home run to beat the Cubs in his first game at Wrigley. The joke on the broadcast was thanks Cubs. So now with Nick Madrigal with Craig Kimbrell going to the White Sox and playing like he did, it's thanks White Sox. And Jonah chimes back in. Yeah, Carlos Correa to Detroit. That was Heyman's other prediction right after Javi. He predicted Correa to Detroit because AJ Hinch is there. They don't know. Free agency hasn't started yet. The World Series was just set last night when the Braves beat the Dodgers, which, oh, that's great. The Braves beat the Dodgers. Braves-Astros in the World Series. Yeah, who'd have predicted that one at the beginning of the year? Going to be a good World Series, I think. I want the Braves to win. And Daryl, again, chimes in. People question Horner at short as well as his health. No way they pay for Correa. I wouldn't bring Javi back. It is a rebuild. Yes, it's a rebuild. But why aren't they saying it's a rebuild? And if that's the case, okay, yeah, Nico's got questions about his health. If it's a rebuild, you can speed up a rebuild by setting your middle infield. And if Nico's not healthy, guess what? You go through this thing, you get the resources, you bring in a new shortstop. I'm a big Nick Madrigal fan. I was since the day the White Sox drafted him. And I don't watch the Major League Baseball draft. But I remember when Nick Madrigal was drafted, I'm a big fan. And he's got a great first name. So why not just set your shortstop now if it doesn't work out? Guess what? You're rebuilding. Just bring in a power shortstop once you have, once you're starting to win, once you're ready to compete. That's what I would do. But again, I'm not, I'm not in that front office. I don't, I don't get told that we've only got X amount of money to spend on free agents. But that's just what I would do. Got about 15 minutes left. Haven't talked Bears yet. Got to talk Bears. Because that Packers game last week, man, Packers week always hurts. It just always hurts at this point. Especially when Aaron Rodgers scores the touchdown and goes around saying, I own you, I still own you, and the jokes that were made. and Man, it just put a bad taste in my mouth. Bears lost last week as... Expected. And now this week they're gearing up to face Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
in Tampa Bay. It's raining there, from what I understand. 325 kickoff. Final score last week against Green Bay, by the way, was 24 to 14. And I've been hosting the show now. I've been hosting solo for how long have I been hosting solo? Two and a half years. And I've been on here for three and a half years with Daryl. I never rip the referees. You can go through the podcast. You can go through everything. You can hear. I do not rip the referees. Last week's game against the Packers was one of the worst officiated games I've ever seen. Now, it should not have come down to the refs. Let me be perfectly clear here. It shouldn't have come down to the refs. But the play that changed the game, and the players have said this, it doesn't take much football IQ to realize this. All you have to do is watch sports to realize it. The Packers were offsides. And the Bears should have had a free play when Justin Fields threw an interception into the end zone. He thought it was a free play, which is why he just chucked it. It should have been a free play. Everybody recognized it, except apparently the referees. I'll do you one better. Justin Fields called a timeout at one point. There's video of the referee. Was it? Is that the back judge? Just pointing. Didn't blow his whistle. He pointed. And on the Packers' side, Adrian Amos should have had an interception in the end zone. That should have been a pick, in my opinion. There was also a first down where they, the Bears were a yard past. They put him a yard back. Like I said, I do not rip the referees much, if at all. But that was horrible last week. So now the Bears have Tampa Bay, 325 on CBS. I, they've got the A-team today. I think they've got Nance and Romo and Wilson, which means we get to hear Tony Romo call the Bears game. We get to hear Tony Romo talk about Justin Fields. This is going to be great. I, I really didn't think I'd like listening to Tony Romo call a football game just because I wasn't a big fan of his as, as a player. But I'm excited to hear him and Jim Nance call this game today. Next week, the Bears have San Francisco before Monday Night Football against the Steelers before the bye week. The over-under for wins was 7.5. So far, the Bears are 3-3. Three and three. The win against the Raiders certainly helps with that. But it's not going to be easy going into the bye. It's also going to hurt today that Akeem Hicks is out. He didn't make the trip to Tampa because of his groin injury. And I, I got to double-check this. I heard I, I have Sunday NFL countdown on out here. And before I came on the air, I thought I heard that Robert Quinn was out today. Is that a thing? Is he still on the COVID list? Is that, is that what happened? It's been a whirlwind of a week. Yeah, Robert Quinn is out today. Jimmy Graham's out because of COVID. Uh, Tashawn Gibson's out too. Then again, the Bucks are beat up too. No Richard Sherman, no Rob Gronkowski. Uh, they've got a linebacker who's out too. And it's raining, from what I understand. It rains on the way. It's going to be a rough one today in Tampa Bay. Yeah, I think the, the Bears defense is beat up. The Bucks defense is beat up. I thought it'd be a shootout, but with the rain, who knows? But yeah, it's 
I don't know how this one's going to go. I really don't. You know, last week I said there was a chance the Bears win, and there was for a while there. It looked like the Bears had a chance to win. But then Aaron Rodgers did Aaron Rodgers things, and it got ugly, as Packers Week usually does. Packers Week always hurts. But yeah, the Bucks this week, you know they're out for revenge after last year's embarrassment on Thursday Night Football. You know, I was listening to the radio this week, and, the, and that was a reminder that the Bears were 5-1 and one after that game last year. Remember that? Yeah, and then they lost six in a row. I do think we're seeing good things out of Justin Fields. I think every game he's getting better. If it's not, like, mind-blowingly better, but still... He's getting more and more comfortable. I think Bill Lazor's a good play caller, but they need to. I, I feel like was it, it was OJ Simpson right in the Monday Night Football booth. He said the the reason why they lost this game is because they didn't score enough points. That's what I feel like I'm saying here, but I'm not wrong when I say they need to score. The offense looks decent. Uh, they just find the end zone. And I don't know if it's conservative play calling in the red zone. I don't know if it's trusting the quarterback. Trust Justin Fields to make plays. I don't know. But it's going to be a real interesting one in Tampa Bay today. Again, 325 kickoff. Justin Fields going up against Tom Brady. You know, this. I read this this week and it blew my mind. Is this the first time Tom Brady's faced an Ohio State quarterback? Michigan State, or Michigan State, wow, not Michigan State. Michigan grad, He's not. he did not go to Michigan State. He went to Michigan, never played an Ohio State quarterback before. That's wild to me. Has he been in the league forever? How has he not run into an Ohio State QB? So that's something to watch today. And again, the embarrassment of last year when Brady's standing there holding up the four thinking he had an extra down, and he didn't. I just hope the Bears keep it close today, and we see some good things out of Justin Fields. They've got a, the secondary's beat up. The Bears' secondary is beat up. Or Bears. Bucks, well, Bears is too. Bucks' secondary is beat up. We're going to see. I was going to maybe talk Blackhawks today, but I don't know if I want to. They keep giving up early goals. They can't play defense. Patrick Kane's on the COVID list. He's probably out tonight. It just gets from bad to worse. Jeremy Collin still has a job. Stan Bowman still has a job. Which, by the way, all these people out on Twitter saying, fire Colleton, Colleton's not the guy. Almost a year ago to the day. Almost a year ago to the day. Be a year tomorrow. Came on these airwaves. And I made the comment that Jeremy Colleton isn't the guy to lead this team. Nobody was talking about it. I'm tooting my own horn here. I don't care. Jeremy Colleton wasn't the guy. That's what I said last year. A year later, he's not the guy. People are realizing that. I have been an outspoken critic of Stan Bowman for years now. And then they promoted him to president of hockey operations without a G. And he's also the GM, so he's his own boss. It's not good what's happening with the Blackhawks. You know, we saw it with the Bulls. The only way to make a change is to stop going to games. And I'm not going to be that guy that sits out here saying, oh, quit going to games so they can make change. Like, I'm just being a realist here. 
If you want to go to the games, like, if someone says, hey, let's go to the Hawks game, guess what? I'm going to go to the Hawks game. And hockey games are fun. But it's one of those things that that's why, I, I mean, I won't watch them on TV either. When I work at the bar, because I bartend three nights a week until the end of the month, when I'm there, I don't put the Blackhawks games on. I had a guy come in in a Blackhawks jersey the other night. I'm like, hey, do you want do you want the Hawks game on? I don't have it on. He's like, no, they're getting killed. Don't worry about it. That's how it is. You still got Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane. And they're still not playing defense. And was it, was it John Dietz at the Daily Herald? Did he tweet yesterday about the passing being shaky in practice? In practice? I told myself I wasn't going to do this. But it's just sad. I mean, like I said, I won't watch them. I've been watching the Blackhawks regularly. I said this last week. I've been a fan since 2009 was the Winter Classic I watched when they played Detroit. And before Jonah chimes in, yes, I know who won that game. Everly Field. I know that. I know you're listening. I know you're going to say it. I understand that the Red Wings won that game. That's what got me into hockey. And now I'm just apathetic. I don't care. They should have tanked last year and they didn't. Not that it would have done any good because they're not good this year. Something's got to change. Something's had to change. But now you're getting more people talking about it, which is good. Maybe something will happen. But for right now, man, it is just sad. If you watch the Blackhawks play, I don't. However, I'm hoping to order a Seattle Kraken hat here soon because that's a sweet logo and I can get behind the Kraken. I got five minutes left. I should probably tell you what I'm predicting for the Bears game today. So you heard me talk about the Bucks secondary being beat up and about the Bears being down on defense. You know, I really hope we see Justin Fields break out at some point. I think we will. The vibe I'm getting from listening to the players talk and listening to them talk about what he's doing at practice, what he's doing at games. I think Justin Fields is going to break out soon. I'm not sure it'll be today, but again, with a depleted secondary for Tampa Bay, it could be today. But again, the Bears are without Akeem Hicks and Robert Quinn. And they're going up against Tom Brady, which not ideal, right? My prediction for this game, and I've been back and forth on this, I've been kind of thinking about it the whole show as I've been going on. Bucks 28, Bears 17. I think Brady's just going to be Brady. He also got in on the Aaron Rodgers stuff last week, joking, oh, congratulations to Aaron Rodgers, new shareholder of the Chicago Bears. Wow, real funny, Tommy. I think he's out for revenge after last year. 28-17 is my prediction for the final score of this game. And again, you heard the upcoming schedule after this. There's two games left before the bye. On Halloween, the Bears had the 49ers at noon. And then there are Monday Night Football, November 8th against Pittsburgh, and then they had the bye. From there, they got Baltimore, Detroit, Arizona, Green Bay, Minnesota, Seattle, the Giants, and the Vikings. That's the last, looks like seven games. Eight games. Can't do math. 
it's weird. It's also throwing me off because 17 game schedule instead of 16. It's really throwing me off this year. But yeah, after today, it's not going to be easy. This wasn't an easy schedule to begin with, given the makeup of this team. And one other thing, I forgot about this, and I'll bring it up now. I was reading something in, I think it was the Daily, it was the Daily Herald. The stadium in Arlington Heights is going to be called George S. Hallis Stadium. Is that what they called it? Is that a thing? I know Phillips and McCaskey toured it. Is it going to be called George S. Hallis Stadium? I'm here for that, by the way. I am perfectly fine with that. I know people came back from the Vegas game against the Raiders in Vegas talking about, hey, this is what we could have in Chicago if they moved to Arlington Heights. I am all for it. You've heard me say it on the show. I've been outspoken about it. Go ahead and do it. But for right now, we got to focus on the present. And the present is Bears, Bucks, 325, CBS. Jim Nance, Tony Romo, Tracy Wilson had the call. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to just listening to, I hope Tony just goes nuts over Justin Fields. And I hope the kid breaks out. I really do. We'll see. It's been a fun show today. And it's also good to be talking Loyola basketball again, even though it's a secret scrimmage. But we're going to have a lot of Loyola basketball chatter coming up here soon. You know, next week exhibition game comes around, and then the regular season comes around. We talk in Missouri Valley basketball as well. And I'm just going to give a little tease of this here. Stay tuned to my Twitter page this week. Might have some news for you. We'll see. I thought about saying something today, but I'm not ready to say it yet. Keep an eye out. And next week's show, I'll talk about it as well. Because by next week's show, I'll be able to talk about it. But keep an eye out this week. That's all I'm going to say. Just a little cryptic tease for you. Bucks 28, Bears 17, coming up 325 today. We'll be watching the World Series as well. I forget. When does when does the World Series even start? I keep losing track with the way the championship series went and whatnot. Uh, first game of the World Series comes up Tuesday. Braves and Astros in the World Series. We keep an eye on that. We'll talk about that on here as well. Next week's show is going to be on Halloween. Might do a Halloween special. We'll see. I'm going to wrap it up here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Until next week, stay safe, stay healthy, wear a mask, get the vaccine when you can. And I'm looking forward to talking back with you right here next Sunday on the Sunday Sports Shootout on WLUW 88.7 FM. Have an awesome week, everybody.